Welcome back to the Real Life Theology Podcast. Great to be with you again today. My name is Chris. This is a big week for us here at Renew because right now we have our Renew gathering going on, our national gathering. So let's go ahead and check out this podcast today. We're going to have some new episodes coming up next week from what we're doing this week, and we're going to be rolling those out, so we're excited about that. So thanks for joining us again today. I think there's a very organized disinformation campaign going on uh, at, around us and, and coming at us at all times. And I've been talking about that the last couple weeks, and, and I really believe it's true, and, and I hope you are convinced it's true, and if not, I hope today I can convince you it's, it's true that there is some weird stuff going on right now. And I don't mean like conspiracies from big pharma or um, the world trying to like build back better, or I'm not even gonna talk about Bill Gates today, okay? Like, I, I don't even mean all of that stuff. Um, there's plenty of interesting things probably to talk about there. They're just outside the scope of what I wanna do here, and if you wanna have coffee, we can talk about some of that stuff, I suppose. But I, I mean, there's actually something else going on. There is a organized campaign a disinformation campaign of evil, and it has been going on since the beginning of time, and I think it actually comes from Satan. I think it's satanic. And, and, and that sounds, I understand right now, that will sound very churchy to you. Oh, here's a religious person talking about Satan and the devil and the guy with the pitchfork and all that. I get that. But I'm telling you, I listen to lots of stuff and podcasts and read and whatever. Uh, secular people are saying this right now. I have heard this in culture recently from people I would have thought are very not religious, and they're saying things like, something weird is going on in the world right now, and it's evil, and I would even, I heard one the other day say, I think, I think maybe it's like Satan or something, and those of us in the church are going, we've been saying this for millennia now, uh, yeah, there is this thing going on, Satan is the father of lies, he is lying to us and trying to get us to believe lies because he wants to destroy us, and his best way to do that is not to work on you individually, but to get the entire culture to believe lies and go down the wrong roads and to really get the culture and get the people within the culture to destroy themselves over time. And it's happened, it's happening now, it's happened throughout history. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a, a history buff, I guess, or a, just a fan. I like listening to and reading things about history, and, and I'm always amazed um, how when we're in a hard moment in our culture, if you go back and look throughout history, other people have been in those moments before, and you see a lot of similarities. Uh, a quote often attributed to Mark Twain, uh, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Right? We always say, oh, history repeats itself. It's like, no, not exactly, but this sounds very familiar. And, I, and I've had that experience recently, uh, just reading up on um, a book about, uh, about how people in Poland in 1940, how ordinary men in Poland were able to round up their fellow citizens and put them into, into trains to be sent off to gas chambers. Like, how do people do that? How do you get to a point in culture where you see a neighbor and you go, I'm going to send him off to a gas chamber? Um, who did this? Why, why would they do that? And when you see things like that in history, you go, this isn't just bad. This isn't just mistakes. This isn't just lack of education or whatever other thing. You, you, you look at that stuff and you go, something is satanic and evil going on here. And, and we need to understand uh, where, it, where it comes from. 
And so when I, when I see things like that in history and then I look at our present moment and I see people turning on each other around you know, political things and elections and, and, and vaccines and all, all the things that people turn against each other around, and I, I know it's not exactly at the point where we're rounding people up and sending them to gas chambers like we've done historically, but you understand a little more of how people get there, how we can turn on people and, and make people the other and make them the enemy. And, and I'm concerned about that. And I think this is the work of Satan. He's not using the exact same t- tactics. Um, he's not repeating himself, but he is rhyming with things that he has done before in the world. Now, when Satan lies to us, uh, some of the lies are obvious. That's why we don't believe them. Um, but some lies are, are actually, they, they are things we believe, and, and they're the kind of lies that when we hear them, because we've been so like enculturated to them, they sound to us like they're true. So someone will say something, we go, yeah, that sounds right. It's not right, but it sounds right to us because we've been raised to believe that that is right and that is the way it should be. Or you, you see something or you hear something, you go, that's, oh, that's really good. That's a great point. Someone should make a meme about that. Like, that's really, that's good, you know? And, and so uh, Satan's lies that come to us are not blatantly obvious falsehoods, a lot of times they just have this kernel of truth in it that makes us sort of go, oh, that seems about right. I, I think that's it. Um, and, and, and they're just a little twist on the truth that is maybe 5% wrong, but overall it lands us in a very wrong place. You see this in history. This is actually how Satan first started working. If you go back to the beginning of time, you have Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You have these, these two people. God has breathed his spirit into them, and they are given dominion over the animals. They are given a, a job to be fruitful and multiply and take care of the creation that God has given them. And it is a perfect situation where they don't have um, all these struggles that we have. And uh, in, in, within that situation, Satan shows up in the form of a serpent, and I want you to hear how he lies to Eve in particular uh, when he shows up. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, listen to this, Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now if you back up and look at what God actually said, that's not what he said. God actually said, you can eat of any tree in the garden, just don't eat from this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's, that's a bad thing. Don't, don't eat from that one tree. And Satan comes along and doesn't say, did God, did God say you can't eat of that one tree? He doesn't say that. He says, did God actually say you can't eat of any tree in the garden? I mean, is he really like that? Is God actually going to ruin your fun like that? Are you, look at how good these trees look. Did God say that? That is an old strategy, and it still works today on us. That strategy, when Satan comes along and says, does God really want you to give away your money like that? Come on, that's stupid. Like, that's ridiculous. You need to pay off your debt, and you need to save, and you need to do these things. You need to have fun money. You don't need to give away money. Did God actually say that? Come on. Did God actually say that your sexuality should be expressed and sexual relationships should happen within marriage? That's so lame. That's so 1950. That's so... Did God really say that? Come on. We all know better than that. This is for fun. You should express this in any way possible with consenting adults. Come on. Did God actually say you should handle your friendships this way? Did God actually? All these, all these little statements that, that, that come at us, and they're, and they're just like a little bit incredulous. They're a little bit like, oh, God is trying to ruin your fun. And, and it, the idea is to get you to 
uh, to, to doubt God or to question that God has your best intentions in mind or your best heart in mind or, or to question that God is even good. Uh, Christopher Hitchens, the famous British atheist, wrote a book back in 2007 called God is Not Great. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Even Satan's more subtle than that. Uh, and so, so uh, l- continuing on, look at, look at how, this, how this goes down. Verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, so she corrects him, right? We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Again, go back and look at what God actually said to him. That's not what God said. God said, don't eat of the fruit of the tree or you will die. And she says, we can't eat of it. We can't even touch it. And this is where the the, the deception starts to come into play. This is where things start to go a little bit off the rails in, in this. She's, she's a little disoriented now. and Like, no, well, no, no, God's not like that. He just said that this, and it was kind of like this. And Verse 4, so the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Satan reinterprets the situation and whispers that to her, speaks that to her and casts some doubts um, on on what's going on. And notice that Satan's lies, we talked about this last week, Satan's lies align with our flesh. They, they line up with things that we want. She notices, oh, what are you saying? Actually, I do kind of want that. And that food looks really good. And I would like to be wise. And there's all these, this is lining up. This, these are my desires. He's lying about my desires. And then she sins. She does exactly what she was told by God not to do. There's, a, there's an appeal there of, of, of his strategy. He tells an appealing lie. Um, and he tells and he says some things that are truish, that appeal to our, our nature. So I want to talk about a, a lie that Satan has in our culture that we hear uh, today. Um, last week we talked about the a lies about the heart, about intimacy, about that sort of connection. Um, and today I want to talk about a lie that I, I'm just calling a, the lie of, of, of integrity. Um, and the 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 place I saw this was a couple months ago on a, on a subway car in New York City. Now, I wasn't in New York City, but I saw this online and someone had posted. So on these subway cars, you know, they have the, the ads at the top of the car and you can read it while you're just standing there or whatever. And this was an ad from OkCupid, which is a, a dating app, right? Like a, a matchmaking sort of app. Um, this OkCupid ad. And this is what the ad says in big letters on the subway car. It's okay to have strong convictions and abandon them for a night. I, I thought that was pretty bold. I, I, was, I thought it was really interesting. And let me just give you a little window into the way my brain works. Um, we're all different, maybe. maybe but as, as, as someone who's trying to be a student of the culture that we live in and understand the times that we're in and understand what we should do and, and how to speak to that and challenge that and all that, I, I started to dissect that statement a little bit. And I was like, okay, it says... It's okay to, all right, first of all, stop, time out. Who says it's okay? Who's saying this right now? Who gets to decide 
what is okay. And then I thought, they're called okay Cupid. I always thought that meant something like, okay, Cupid, who do you have for me today? Or, okay, Cupid, do your thing, match me up. But maybe what they mean is that they get to be the authority on okay. I don't know. But they're saying it's okay. And when they say it's okay, they are appealing to something higher. They're saying people out there think it is okay. Maybe that's what they're telling us. They want us to know, hey, if you're worried about this, it's okay. You have permission from me, the okay Cupid ad writer. I am giving you permission now to do the thing, whatever the thing is. You have my permission. Well, I don't want the okay Cupid ad writer. Maybe what they're saying is, you have the permission of culture at large. Other people think this is okay. We, as a society, have agreed that this is okay. Which is fine, except when it isn't. Except, do we really want to get moral and ethical choices defined for us by the majority? Am I actually looking to all of my neighbors and going, what is okay? All right, now I will do it. Do you guys, does everyone think this is cool? Okay, I will do it. That is that is not a strong value system. That is, not, that is not a way to live. So maybe they're saying that. Hey, it's okay. People think it's okay out there for, for you to do this. And then it says, um, and then it says, it's okay to have strong convictions. So someone decides it's okay to have strong convictions and abandon them for a night. This is confusing to me. I don't know how you read that, but I'm sitting there going, isn't the definition of strong convictions that you don't abandon them for the night? Isn't that what the words mean? You don't mean it's okay to have strong convictions and abandon them. You mean it's okay to have very, very weak convictions and abandon them for a night. That's what it means. It's, you, you, you sort of wonder, you're like, am I, am I taking crazy pills here? Like, the words mean things, and they say strong convictions, and you say that, and then you say abandon them for the night, and you're saying that that's fine. And I'm like, that's not what those words mean. That's not what it means to have strong convictions. It's, it's, it's weird. It's like, it's like something's blue and they go, this is red. And everybody looks at it and goes, that's totally red. It's not. It's blue. Like, can we, words mean things. Can we all agree on that and use them appropriately? And so it's saying it's okay to have strong convictions and abandon them for, for, for the night. Um, there's a shred of truth in this, and, I, and that's what I want to get to. There's a shred of truth in there. If what this ad was saying was, um, hey, everybody messes up, and even if you believe something strongly and you mess up, that's okay. Like, if they said that, and that's a, that's a complicated ad, right, and it probably doesn't sell their product. But if they said that, I'm, I'm there. Like, I get that. And actually, Scripture is there. The Scripture would say in, in Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that all we like sheep have gone astray. Like, Every single one of us has blown it. We've done this. We've messed up. We've, we've had strong convictions and we've abandoned them. We have preached things that we believe and said things out like, yeah, I really believe this, and then we've acted in ways that are contrary to those spoken beliefs. This is called hypocrisy. This is not uh, specific to the church. Everybody does this throughout history. They have um, not, their, their walk has not lined up where, with their talk. Um, we all have that. And, and so, in a sense, I want to agree with the ad. It is okay. Not because the ad writer says it's okay. It's okay because God has grace for you. It is okay because God can cover over whatever you have done. It is okay because you are loved. And, and when you walk through the doors into a church like this, I want you to hear this. I want you to know that you can come in here 
with hypocrisy. You can come in here with regret. You can come in here having blown it. You can come in here having made mistakes. And when you walk in here like that, you are among friends. You are among people who have also done those things. The difference between that which is true and what the OKCupid ad is, is the timeline. It's okay to have done these things. That's not what the ad says. The ad says it is okay to premeditate doing these things. It's a very different thing, right? The ad says, go out and blow it. And I would say, and God would say, no, it's okay if you've blown it. Those are different things, right? One, one is I made a mistake. The other is I am intentionally and willfully sinning and, 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 and trying to, and, and intentionally doing something that is, is wrong. Um, the, the ad wants you to sin because the ad is basically saying, go ahead and blow it. Why? Well, because it's going to be fun. Regardless of the consequences, it's going to be, it's going to be really fun. Um, and I, I understand that. But unfortunately, I've, I've had the occasion or the opportunity over the last couple decades to counsel people who have lived on the other side of that. And I don't think it's harmless fun. I, and and there's, I've heard many, many stories like that where people have gone down the road and they've blown it and they thought it was fine to abandon their convictions and they paid a price for it. And I've seen a lot of shame and a lot of guilt and a lot of pain that that has caused. And so I don't think an ad like that and I don't think what it's advocating is harmless fun. I think it's a satanic lie. And I've seen the, the horrible consequences on the other side. It's, and it's a lie about integrity. It's, it's, it's a lie that says you don't have to be consistent. You don't have to live what you truly believe. Um, and that's, that's actually a, 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 very, a very old lie. Um, Jesus confronted that lie himself. There was a, an instance where before Jesus starts up his public ministry of teaching and preaching and all the things that he went around and did in the first century, Jesus goes off in the wilderness by himself and he fasts um, for 40 days. And so I want to read it to you because uh, Satan comes and brings that same sort of attack on integrity to Jesus and that same sort of lie he brings to him. And I want us to learn from how Jesus confronted that and then what are some principles we can get out of that. So Luke chapter 4 records it, says this. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry, as you would be, right? The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. So he starts his ministry by going off into the desert to pray, and the Spirit leads him there, and he's fasting during, during this time. So he's, he's not eating, um, and, and he's very hungry. And Satan comes to him to tempt him. And, and ostensibly, he's tempting him about food. He says, look, there's a stone here. Why don't you just command that to become bread and eat? Right? So the, the, the entrance to Jesus uh, allegedly here is, is about the food, but it's not about the food. He says to him, if you are the son of God, then command these stones to become bread. It's, it's not about food. It's about his power. It's about his rule over the earth. It's about what, what he's able to do as God in the flesh. 
And so Satan comes to him that way. He's using an area where he thinks he's weak, food. Now you're hungry right now. Why don't you do this? But he's challenging him to kind of let it off a little bit. Like, hey, just use that power that you've got. It'll be fine. And remember, he's, Satan's tempting him while he's out in the wilderness alone. And Jesus um, responds to him by, by quoting Deuteronomy, quoting the Old Testament, saying, you know, man doesn't live by bread alone. Um, and, 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 and basically he's like, no, I, I, don't, I don't need to do that. I don't need to do, pursue food this way. Now, the whole, the whole idea of the connection between fasting and spiritual discipline and growth, uh, that's all interesting. We'll get into that in a couple weeks. Actually, uh, just about three weeks from today, we're going to talk about that. So we'll come back to that. I'll leave that for now. But I just want us to see how Satan comes after him. Continuing on in verse 5, he says this, And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I wonder what that was like. And said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Okay, a couple interesting things there. Um, when I say there's an organized disinformation campaign, Satan admits it right there. He says, I, I have the power over a lot of this. We talked about it last week in Ephesians 2 when Paul refers to Satan as the prince of the power of the air. Like, uh, it, it's in the air around here that, that Satan has some rule and authority over the earth. So he, he looks at Jesus and he basically says to him, hey, I'll share this with you. Like, if you, why don't you just worship me and then I'll let you be in charge. Does this remind you of anything in, in famous film history? Because I go to Emperor Palpatine. Does anyone else go to Emperor Palpatine? In The Return of the Jedi, he says to Luke, basically like, hey, why don't you just effectively bow down to me and I'll let you rule with me, right? And then there's this whole fight back and forth and, you know, well, I don't want to ruin it for you, but it's good. Um, but it's what it reminds, reminds me of. And, and again, Jesus comes back to Satan with scripture, it says, it is written, you should worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I'm not, I'm not gonna bow down to you because I am aligned with this. This is what is true, this is what has been written. Here's the first idea we need to get from this. Number one, to confront the lie, you must be thoroughly acquainted with the truth. Um, it's so easy to read Jesus in this temptation as he's tempted by Satan, he's very hungry, and uh, we might even say he was hangry at that point, right? He's just like, man, it's... 40 days, not eating, it's really hard. How does he do it? Satan comes and tempts him, and he, and he kind of pushes Satan away. And we read that, and we go, well, Jesus was God, so he's able to do that. But notice how he did it. The way he confronted temptation, the way he handles Satan there is with Scripture that he has memorized. That's not a God thing that, you, that, that he's doing. That's a human thing he's doing. That is not a superpower he has. That is a power that you have, that I have. All he does is answer Satan with the truth of Scripture. He memorizes Scripture and he quotes it to him. That is not uh, a, a superpower. Um, could, you, could you memorize Scripture? Could you, could you do that? 
Now, a lot of people will say things like, man, I, oh man, I just suck at memorization. And it's just, it just reminds me of school and like getting things right for my history test and all the dates and the things. And I, I, can't, I can't do that. But you can. In the ancient world, in Jesus' day and before, people would memorize entire books of the Bible, long, long sections they would memorize and be able to recite from memory. They weren't smarter than you. They weren't. They had brains and a soul and all the things that, that we have too. Um, they just focus that mental energy in a different place than we focus it. And they, they set their mind to, I'm going to memorize this and, and, and learn it. Um, we, we, we do that too. We have, we have formation groups. I'm in two formation groups with guys and we're memorizing scripture. We're doing one chunk of scripture per month. And so through this course of this year of the group meeting together, we should, we should memorize 12 different scriptures that uh, we want to be able to have on instant recall so that when we're in a tense moment or when the pressure's on, we don't revert, we don't go to what we're aspiring to be, we go to what we have trained to be. In the, in the tense moment, I have trained, I have memorized, I know I am ready for, to, to meet this temptation because the scripture has been memorized and it's soaked into my heart. And, and, and you're going to be like, man, I, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can memorize scripture. And I know you can, and here's how I know you can. At the Super Bowl, 65,000 people sang in unison the lyrics to Eminem's Lose Yourself. So I know that you could uh, pull it out of your head and, and, and recite it together. Now, maybe if Eminem sang the New Testament and put it to a good beat, you could memorize it much easier. I don't know. Maybe there's a startup idea in there somewhere. I don't know. But, but those words, um, we have the ability. We can, we can do this. I, I, I know we can. Um, Heck, let's call it your superpower, your superpower of scripture memorization. Um, if I asked you, you know, sometimes we play this game, like, if you could have any superpower, what would you want? And we all say things like, I wish I had the superpower of, like, um, if I could, like, walk through walls or, like, I could breathe underwater, like Aquaman, you know, and there's, like, all these, yeah, can I see through things, you know, like, all these powers, these superpowers that, can I fly, can I heal people with a touch? These are superpowers. Here's, here's the superpowers I want. Um, I want the supernatural ability to have a, a much higher level of emotional intelligence when I engage with my wife. I want the superpower of having empathy for the people who are all around me. I want the, um, the, 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 the superpower of having instant recall of Scripture exactly when I need it. I, have, I want the superpower of pulling, a rap, pulling out the exact right wise word for a friend who's struggling. And to be able to give it to them, like the scripture says, like, a, like an apple of gold that's in a setting of silver is this well-chosen or this well-spoken word. I want to have that as my, as my superpower. I want to have the superpower of being so rooted and grounded in my identity in Christ that I am not easily rattled by all of the nonsense that's going on around me. And Jesus has all of those things because he's acquainted with the truth. He has spent time learning the scriptures. And when you know what is true, you won't settle for lies. This is, uh, allegedly, this is what they, how they train or have trained bank tellers. If, if you want to spot a counterfeit bill, you just spend a lot of time with real bills. You know how they feel. You know what to look for. You, 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 you handle them, and, and, and over time, you will be able to, to spot the counterfeit. When we are well acquainted, saturated, marinated, as we talked about last week, when we are marinated in the truth, we can more easily spot the lies. All right, so continuing on, let me just finish out this section. Proverbs 4, verse 9. Last, last 
the last temptation uh, Satan comes at him with is this. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written. Now, Satan's trying the scripture thing too. It is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. I think if you look at the temptations here um, and think big picture, what is Jesus on earth for? He's, he's going to start his ministry, and he will teach, and he will heal people, and he will do this for three years. And during that three years, he's going to impact thousands and thousands of people, and he will, um, he will change their lives. He will show them who God is and how we are to be and how we are to relate to our Heavenly Father, and he will model all this. He will do this, and then he will intentionally go to Jerusalem on the week of Passover, and he will die intentionally on a cross under the hands of the Roman government and the Jewish authorities. He will, he orchestrates his own murder uh, effectively, and he will do this on purpose to die for our sins. So for everything, for all the ways that we, we for all the times we had the strong convictions and abandoned them for the night, uh, Jesus will die for that. And he, will, and he will cover that, and he will ultimately be the one who's able to make that okay. That is his mission. That is his plan. And what Satan wants to do in this temptation is to get Jesus to just take some shortcuts. Hey, use your power this way. Hey, kind of flex a little bit over here. Why don't you not do all that thing? Why don't you just, you know, give them the razzle-dazzle, you know? Amaze people. Show your power here, um, and, and, and he's doing this to Jesus in, a, in, in, a, in a, a little bit of a private way, right, when Jesus is in the wilderness. And, and really all of this is an assault on an attack and a temptation on Jesus on his integrity. Satan's coming along and saying, hey, it's okay. You don't have to have strong convictions about this stuff. You can just follow me or you can just do it this way. But integrity is about who you are when nobody is watching. You don't need an audience to have integrity. In fact, if you have an audience and you, are, and you talk, you walk the way you talk, that's not called integrity. That might just be called performance. You look a certain way in front of people. Um, and so, so actually when we don't have an audience, that's when integrity is most challenged. Integrity is about who you are when no one sees you, when no one is looking. So, Number one, to confront the lie, you must be thoroughly acquainted with the truth. Number two is this. Integrity is something worth fighting to keep. It really does matter who you are when, uh, when no one is watching because who you are, your beliefs, your core, uh, that stuff will, will, will eventually come out publicly. Um, you, you see that all over the place. Um, integrity is worth fighting to keep and is worth pursuing because, because it... Um, who you are matters in, in all of your relationships. You, you may be married to someone or dating someone and you like them for lots of reasons. They're attractive and there's all these great things. They're smart and they're funny and all that. But you are married to their integrity at the end of the day. You're married to who they are when you're not around because that's eventually gonna come out at the dinner table. That's eventually gonna come out. It, your coworkers can be fun. They can be so cool to work with. You got a lot of similar interests, but you're married to their integrity. You're, you're not married to. Sometimes it feels that way. Uh, you are working alongside their integrity. 
You're working alongside people who, are they going to do what they say they're going to do? Are they going to show up for the job and do what they say they will do? This is, the, this is true of work. This is true of friendships. This is true of dating. This is true of marriage. Um, integrity matters and it is worth fighting to keep because uh, when people blow it and when they lose it, it's very hard to get your, your, your reputation back. Um, and you see that all over. You see people um, embezzle money. Uh, they, they, they embezzle money from corporations um, that was a, that, they didn't start out like, I'm going to go embezzle so much money. They started out with, you know, I have strong convictions about this, but I think I'll abandon them just this one time. And that one time turns into a week, and it turns into a month, and it turns into a lifestyle, and eventually they, they, they take money, and eventually that will come out. You see this with affairs. No one, no one says, I'm going to go cheat on my spouse just one time, and I think that's going to be fine. It, it, uh, eventually it comes out. And, and what happens is one little abandon the conviction for the night becomes an overtime thing, and it, and it ruins the relationship. Um, one little moment of it's okay if no one sees me, um, and it eventually becomes uh, this, this big problem. The lack of integrity shows up first before an affair, before the embezzlement, before all these things. Jesus understood this. Uh, he could have done what Satan was tempting him to do, but he would have lost his integrity. Jesus stands in the line in the tradition of the Old Testament, uh, prophets and teachers. Uh, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1 says this, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver and gold, or gold. It matters that you have a good name, and, and that, that when people think of you, like, who are you? That matters more than, did you make a lot of money? Um, there's so many examples of that, right? In the last decade or so, you might remember Bernie Madoff, um, who, who famously sort of had this Ponzi scheme, swindling, embezzling thing, you know, like a billion dollars or something like that, and then was, was put in jail. Um, when I think of Bernie Madoff, that's what I think of. I don't think, maybe he was a really good dad, or I bet he was great at racquetball, or like, you know, as a hard worker, that guy, like he was very smart. He did, like, I don't, you don't think any of that stuff. His name is associated with fraud, This is what happens when you lose a good name. No matter what else he had going on, no matter how wealthy he got, his name is associated with that. Um, And that's that's what happens when you abandon your integrity for a night, which becomes a week, which becomes a month, which becomes a shattered reputation. So how do we, so it's worth, it is worth fighting for. Um, So how do we, how do we keep it? Last, Last thing is this, number three, Jesus kept his integrity with his head and his heart. Yes, he knew the scripture, and it's not all head, right? We talked about heart a lot last week. He knew the scripture. He knew what was right. He knew what was true. He could speak those things. He could teach those things. He was grounded in those things. In the moment of temptation, he could pull them all up on, on recall. Um, we, are, we are most tempted to, to lose integrity when we don't have much to begin with or when it's not propped up by much. We don't have reasons for why we're doing what we're doing. Um, this is why a lot of people go off the rails, especially when they hit college, because they were raised with guardrails from their parents and said, do these things, don't do these things. Then you hit college and you go, guardrails, that's stupid. I'm just going to do what I want. This will be fun. And so we, we sort of drive the car off the road, and, and once we wrap it around a tree, we go, you know, somebody should have put up like a railing back there that would like stop my car if it was going off the edge. And you're like, oh, huh, maybe there's a reason that people put guidelines around you or guardrails or, or put some sort of boundary there. 
Maybe there's a reason your parents said, and we all hope as parents that our children will come back to us one day and go, you were so right. All the guardrails, thank you so much. They won't, I don't think, but we'll know. We'll know. We'll high five in the, in the villages one day on our golf carts. Um, we'll know. We'll know what happened. But, but, but with parents, I want to say, I want to say this. Um, don't, uh, don't wait till that moment comes when they get off the rails. Actually, um, spend the time now as you're raising kids to, to get truth and wisdom into them now. Um, lead out in the, the deep stuff of faith. Lead out in prayer in your home and not just at a meal. Lead out in being involved in, in church. Lead out, lead out in love and, and generosity. Let your kids know that you give money away and why. Um, and as they get older, explain the why behind the what of all the things that you do. Let them see that um, your faith matters to you, not just in going to church, but in, in how you live it out Monday through, Monday through Saturday as well. Um, Jesus kept his integrity uh, with, with, with relationships that he was in. He did it with his head and his heart. He did it by knowing what was true, but he didn't do it just by following the rules of religion. Jesus kept his integrity because he was loving his heavenly father. He loved God, um, and he was in that relationship. Um, that is how integrity is kept. For example, monogamy uh, in, in a relationship, in, in a marriage, that is not kept because we believe in the concept of monogamy and we have a conviction about it. It's kept because we love someone and, and that love relationship is flowing and it is being cultivated and nurtured and it is growing. And so it is not just I mentally believe this is the right thing to do, this is the wrong thing to do, but it is I love someone and therefore uh, and that is, and I'm actively working on that, and that is being cultivated, and therefore, I will keep my integrity there. So that's the challenge today. Let's not believe the lies. Um, we, we have been given a good name, and um, even if you feel like your family tree is awful, um, you, you still have a name that you can establish to mean something good in this world um, but, it's, it, but, but you can't abandon the convictions for a night. Uh, the strong convictions actually matter. So let's not believe Satan when he comes and lies to us about who we are and who we should be.